You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Welcome to episode 147. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. And we have some sort of bittersweet news to start off this episode. And that's to say that by the end of this year, we're going to be closing down Flipping Tables and Sunrise Robot at large. Whoa, you just paused the episode to scream in your car, didn't you? Uh, (laughs) They didn't pull over the car. They only paused the episode to scream about it. Um, let's just say that again and also let you know who to blame. And that's me. (laughs) Um, I have kind of decided, not kind of, I have decided that I wanted to move on to some new things and that it's been a hell of a nearly three years, uh, for flipping tables in particular and almost two years of Sunrise Robot. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at some new endeavors that I want to focus my, my energy and attention on, um, n- not least of which my, my new career and my, my whole work life after uh, the university, um, which I'm, I'm actively pursuing. Uh, and so I've, I've kind of come to a place where I want to let go of the podcasting for a while. And for a while could be forever, or it might just be, hey, for a year or two, I'm just going to kind of duck out for a while. And, you know, never say never that, you know, I wouldn't come back to podcasting someday. But I didn't want to... This isn't like, hey, I just need a week off, buddy. It was kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm kind of ready to move on for now. And I, I flung this news onto you and Matt Duncan and the other shows I haven't really been producing <laughs> for, for a while. Um, it was also Rack and Tour. I'd been producing their shows and I'm finishing season one with them and then I'm uh, officially going to pass the baton to someone else they find to carry that torch. The baton became a torch. Um, <laughs> as always, and we'll, we'll discuss more specifics at a later time, we want to do something special for our amazing Patreon sponsors. Um, this None of this was really possible the way we were able to do it without your support and uh, enthusiasm and just kind of keeping us excited about this. So definitely huge thanks to the Patreon sponsors. And as far as uh, how we're going to do this is we're going to do flipping tables through the end of the calendar year and then officially retire the show. And um, Sunrise Robot at large is actually going to be retiring too. But it will turn into one of those big, beautiful archives where people can come back decades from now and I assume, you know, Nothing terrible will happen in the next four to eight years that would make the internet unusable. But uh, decades from now, people can you know go back and, and listen to historic episodes. So I don't I don't want to be one of those people responsible for uh, suddenly hundreds of links on the internet not working. Um, <laughs> it's like the Alderaan got blown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bunch of links cried out and were suddenly <laughs> four fours. Um, yeah, it's I mean it's definitely. Uh, a bummer across the board. Um, I want to try and, and, and stick with podcasting in some capacity, but uh, unfortunately part of the reason we've arrived at the place we're at is because you were like, Hey, I got lots of stuff going on and, and I want to be able to put my focus, you know, where I feel my priorities need to be the highest. And I was kind of like, uh, 
it's such a terrible time for him to do this because I don't <laughs> I don't have the emotional fortitude to soldier on and it's uh fortunately Matt of Bits and Pieces was kind of in a similar place. Like we would rather see the shows retire gracefully than get, you know, dragged through like life support. And uh <laughs> three years is not not an insignificant commitment. It's not like we tried this for a couple weeks and we're like, Oh, this is hard. We never missed we never failed to publish every single week. And yeah. I'm really, really damn proud of that. Yeah, once once all's said and done, I think the last episode will be what, December twentieth, number one fifty. That's yeah. that, that ain't nothing. hundred and fifty weeks of consecutive success is, is not not nothing. <laughs> and I I know our episode length varied, but I'm sure that's around hundred and fifty hours of us talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think more often than not we were on the 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 heavier side of an hour not the lighter side so yeah. i'm pretty confident saying that's 150 <laughs> plus hours of table flipping i'm not no i i ain't even mad yeah and so yeah look for some details uh patreon sponsors will be reaching out with uh something we don't we're still figuring out exactly what but we're going to do something for you guys just to say thanks yeah um and uh i think uh, certainly eclectic readers, and I think also likely story are actually gonna gonna live on on their own islands instead of as part yeah, of a network. They will spin off as their own comets in they the will. podcast galaxy. Yes, and yeah. if if we all remember our history, uh, Frasier was way more successful than Cheers. So who knows? <laughs> better call Saul. Better. Th- uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. That's that one's tough. Certainly as good. All right. Well, we do have some table flipping to do this episode too. It's not just a, a weep show. So no, that'll be one fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get into it. Well, we have some follow up from one forty six, and that is uh, we had shared Polygon's video where they were kind of showing how lazy the Ezio collection of Assassin's Creed, uh, the remakes of two and a few of the other uh, last gen Assassin's Creed games. Uh, how lazy and pathetic and terrible they were. Um, there was a response video that kind of showed that Polygon was a little bit misleading um, or just bad at their job as, be, as being you know proper journalist about what they're covering. And uh, this video kind of went into the details of... So a couple of things that Polygon was showing off. Number one, there was just a really ugly NPC in one of the... <laughs> The cutscenes they had, and they were just kind of like, wow, who would release this? This is terrible. Why would you make that character? This is terrible. Um, they didn't say that, but they kind of like, it was kind of a gag in their video where it like pans over and you're like, oh, there's a clown. <laughs> um, and so for that particular one, it turns out that character model is totally in the original games. And all of the NPCs in the game are randomized every time you go into a cutscene. Um, so you'd have to just hit win the lottery to get that guy prominently behind the focal character. Um, but also on top of it, it looks like they've they've cleaned up the visuals or removed like they've they've lit the characters better, and also <laughs> maybe the higher res and some of the other things have made it much easier to see the faces. Um, so it's sort of like the, all their lazy shorthand work on the NPCs is being revealed and shown like on a pedestal. So I'm sure some of those overworked designers that are like, oh, man, I only had like an afternoon to make that guy and I didn't get to spend the proper time making a, <laughs> a handsome young fellow. And now <laughs> in this remake, they're like, look at our fine work. And you're like, no. Yeah, you you do have to wonder like, 
obviously some shortcuts were taken and and I mean you can cast any aspersions you want on Ubisoft and whether or not that's fair and it justifies the price of the game and blah 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 like this but you know the designers presumably took some of the shortcuts they took knowing that the game was dark and like a little muddy in spots <laughs> so then for them to come back after the fact and be like hey we're going to remaster the game and they're like oh that's that's great we'll finally get to fix these character models no 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 we're just going to install really bright halogen spotlights <laughs> into the the museum of the game you already made and it's like uh may, maybe don't do that you're trying to sell someone a house maybe don't only point out the leaking pipes and the switch that doesn't work in the hole in the roof like i'm sympathetic that there's always parts of the game like you know you run into the certain corner and the brick wall texture just doesn't look great and it's like a journalist is like look at how bad the whole game is and you're like no that's not fair um but nonetheless i do think the big story that comes out of this is yeah polygon you're kind of maybe pretending these were new problems and they're just they're not new it's just sort of oh you upscaled it and now we can see you know how lazy the texture was um but the story is still oh ubisoft you're kind of lazy and this remake is not on the level of like a naughty dog remake or (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is remake season as we discussed last episode the arkham games a city and asylum were re you know remade and they're basically more reflective and there's more wet stuff on the ground and then (laughs) it's higher res and i don't know if the frame rate's actually any better or anything but that wasn't really a problem in the game so who cares um and you know ubisoft just kind of has this reputation of like stuff isn't always fully baked and i think people generally regard assassin's creed 2 and its immediate sequels as some of the best in the series so I'm sure buying this remaster, those games would still be pretty good and pretty fun. Um, but if you are hoping for a full top to bottom, like reskin and, you know, fixing bugs, that just didn't happen. So no, which I mean, I'm, I, I flip flop on where I feel on the, the artist versus business. And it's like, oh, they should take more pride in their work, guys. But everybody keeps giving them money and they are a business. So you don't invest more in your product than you absolutely have to if you're being like a strict capitalist yeah. about it. So, I, I, you know, I, I kind of sympathize with that that side of it a little bit. It's like, hey, if we just, you know, spend a weekend upscaling some of these textures and brightening up some of the lighting and then slap a new logo on it and call it ready to go, people are going to give us money. And it's kind of like, eh. I mean, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to give them money for that, but I can't totally blame them for for doing that kind of a, a lazy rehash. I'm. I am more surprised that Polygon would make this, and then that someone else would fall all over themselves to point out how Polygon was kind of like lazy and just wanted a bunch of clicks. But I got to give it to this guy on YouTube because at the very end of his video, he points out that his video used the same ugly clown guy face as <laughs> as the thumbnail. And he's like, hey, so some of you are probably wondering like why I use that same video just to grab clicks like exactly like Polygon did after a six minute video of me ripping on Polygon and you got me. And that's just where the video like <laughs> smash cuts to the end. <laughs> 
I never like, said I wasn't a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you know, you expect that kind of behavior, like click grabs from from a YouTuber. But I guess, like, <laughs> do we consider Polygon journalism? Like, is it is this not okay that they were like Ubisoft is lazy, and also we are too that lazy thing? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean. To be fair to them a little bit, uh, all the glitches they showed, I never encountered those. And I play, I've played Assassin's Creed 2 on multiple systems, and I never had the climbing glitches show up. Um, and uh, Ubisoft is almost as legendary as Bethesda for having <laughs> terrible glitches in their games. Though Bethesda yeah. seems to patch them better. <laughs> well, and there were two very specific climbing glitches, 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 <laughs> where you go... <laughs> Um, up at like a completely unreasonable speed and then the other one is this floaty flying like you're completely detached from the universe gliding through the matrix like <laughs> sideways thing and i saw the the sped up vertical climbing like you know a handful of times but you just kind of you make your peace with it you're like okay he's kind of happy about it like woohoo yeah, it's like yeah, he he probably shouldn't be climbing that fast. But then the the weird, the super floaty one where like your limbs don't even move and you just glide yeah. along horizontally. Like I don't remember ever seeing that before. Yeah, and I, you know this this isn't me saying like ah oh, polygon your assholes for making too big a deal out of this. It's like wow, I played through that whole game <laughs> encountering <laughs> this glitch that other people seem to have no problem triggering. Yeah, and it's like part of speed runs now or something because you move faster. Man, speedrunning Assassin's Creed would sounds dreadful to me though. It sounds painful. Like especially it's, all the it's missions where waypoint the game. Yeah. Well, the worst part of all Assassin's Creed games to me are follow this guy who's walking slowly, but don't be seen. No, <laughs> they're just the worst. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto for the the last couple games in that series that I picked up also had that kind of mission. Where it's like, yeah, you're murdering everyone. You're a dangerous psychopath who, for some reason, the police never permanently. You're like a Batman villain. <laughs> like they never permanently take you down. Okay, now drive slowly behind this other car. No, not that close. Now you have to restart the mission. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh god, it's like becomes desert bus briefly. Or something. <laughs> I, uh, I'm sure they want to juxtapose the gameplay with other parts of, but no, no, don't, don't ever. <laughs> I don't need your juxtaposition. <laughs> Uh, let's get into the show. So it is the holiday season in this untypical year. Um, Cards Against Humanity almost always does something ridiculous. Uh, you know, one year they literally sent shit to people in the yeah. mail. <laughs> and I don't. I didn't think they could really top that, but they might have topped that because this year they took donations to dig a hole in the ground. And that's it. They call yeah. it the holiday hole. <laughs> And they have an amazing, uh, they had a live feed. They're done digging and done taking donations now. Um, but they also have a, a Q&A on there. And I just got to read some of this because it's amazing. Uh, what's happening here? Cards Against Humanity is digging a holiday hole. Is this real? Unfortunately, it is. <laughs> and then some of the other ones. Is there a deeper meaning or purpose to the hole? No. <laughs> and then maybe my favorite question why aren't you giving all this money to charity answer why aren't you giving all this money to charity it's your money uh, so I, I actually missed this during the donation period um, but I probably wouldn't have sent them money it's really more just a haha look at what they did 
Yeah, I became aware of this during the uh, the actual donation window where people were still making this happen. And I hate to admit it, but because I'm a dumb consumer and I like to be part of the crowd, like every other stupid human, I kind of was like, huh, maybe maybe like I could kick them a dollar. And fortunately, I was too busy to continue to entertain that thought because we just had you know Thanksgiving here in the United States. So it was like holiday weekend where I, I took a couple days off work. And I, I really... I'm I'm a little disappointed in myself for even for a second considering like yeah maybe maybe I'll throw some money into the hole. This is $100,573 and they have the audacity to say total raised. Like <laughs> uh god it's yeah. painful. <laughs> It's like it I don't know how to place this in the in the universe of how I see the world but uh I kind of think of like this is like something I'm glad exists not because I care about digging a pointless hole but because it tells me that there are other good things about our society that this can happen and it's like I shouldn't be giving money to dig pointless holes but at least we live somewhere where you can give money to dig pointless holes well, and it, it says, uh, you know, how am I supposed to feel about this? You know, is there deeper meaning? You know, there's a couple of questions like dancing around the obvious absurdity of this and whether or not they actually intended this to be reflective about consumerism and the fact that they started this on Black Friday of all days of the year. That's the day they chose to start doing this like that. There's some pretty obvious parallels between this and you know blatant consumerism and 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 pointless consumerism and a society of abundance and you just got to imagine like if you live in a struggling economy or a third world country and you see something like this like would this not just make you really truly hate Americans <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I live here and I benefit from our, our economy and I'm kind of like, uh, you assholes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Black Friday is depressing. And even just like, if you want to set aside like the disdain for consumerism and you just want to go, why are you such idiot shoppers that are going to drive around and deal with that traffic? And like, everyone makes fun of the like campers and the waiting in line and the, Unfortunately, the injuries to actual people being, you know, in stampedes and stuff. There's people have actually died at stores before. Um, it's just like shop online. Like there's little robots that will bring you stuff to your door. Why do we that Blu-ray player you don't need that's discounted to a ridiculously low level is probably a special model that's not even as up to the standards as the normal ones because they make <laughs> it specifically for Black Friday. Yeah, which is another terrifying, like, oh, I know my bar is about to get a lot of business, so I'm going to water down all of the spirits so that I can yeah. make them stretch out further. And it's like, no, you're supposed to use that money to buy more spirits, not cheat your customers because <laughs> you know a lot of them are coming at once i mean i guess the if you really follow the the money all the way through the chain of this experience like the business they paid to dig the hole at least i guess like <laughs> like they had to be paid 
like that's why the digging is now done because they ran out of donations to pay this crew. So, I like a business was 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 yeah. uh, patronized. Well, the, I guess like, when they st- they have the details in here. When it started, a dollar would buy five seconds of digging. Um, but as time went on and the donations grew, the amount of time your dollar would buy was going down. Um, so by the end of you know the Sunday afternoon, they finished. Uh, every dollar was 0.3 seconds of digging. <laughs> Jeez. Which is probably closer to what it actually cost. <laughs> like, I, I assume they needed to have, like, a certain amount of kind of seed starting, and then once they crossed that boundary, they were like, okay, now people are actually paying directly. Yeah. Because this is not, like, some moron with a shovel. Like, this is serious construction equipment. There's, like, multiple yeah. diggers. There's multiple, I don't know what you call it, like, the bulldozers, you know, with, like, the big plow on the front. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is not uh, a cheap endeavor. But Yeah, it's not just some guy with a <laughs> shovel, which would have probably also been funny. But Yeah, that, that would have been a different kind of Here's ref- Jeff. reflection He's on just society. dig. <laughs> So, so what do you think? How long? How many Reddit threads? How many Tum blogs? How many think pieces about what this really means? Will this launch? And the will it contribute to the discussion about consumerism, or will this just be remembered as like a bunch of people th- paid them to dig a hole? Yeah, I think it's ninety nine percent will be remembered as a funny joke and not so much of a clever commentary on anything. Um, I, I think to that end, literally sending poop to people in the mail is going to be more memorable. And according <laughs> to the numbers here, they made more money sending crap to people than <laughs> digging a hole. So maybe that's the deeper meaning. People would ra- rather receive crap in the mail. Yeah. I mean, you you got to presume that most of that was being sent to other people, right? Like, I pay and <laughs> yeah. you receive the crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The best thing I can say is they don't do the like you wouldn't want to repeat this every year. They would the the whole point of this is novelty. The the whole point of this. <laughs> sorry, uh, I'm so, so time, sorry. Time to move on. <laughs> All right, we have some Google stuff to talk about. So, how is this Daydream headset? Yeah, so I pre-ordered uh, the Pixel, um, which is awesome, and I'm still super happy with it. And Google had a promotion that anybody who pre-ordered or ordered by a certain date or whatever it was, you got uh, the Daydream VR headset for freezies. And there was a delay on it where they wanted to, I don't know, delay it for some reason. (laughs) uh, So like a couple of weeks ago, I got my, hey, we're going to ship you your thing email, go pick your color. And I either did not understand how the website worked or I had a Henry Ford number of options because I ended up with the gray one. I really wanted the red one, but it did not seem to be any way I could change it. And it, it arrived and everything you've heard about the physical object are true. It (laughs) looks and feels like it's made out of pajama pants and (laughs) that's not really a bad thing because it's more comfortable (laughs) because it feels like it's made out of pajama pants instead of being hard molded plastic uh with like Uh, you know rubber gaskets i always wanted pajamas on my face yeah i mean who who doesn't really like i i would donate a hundred thousand dollars to get pajama pants on my face all the time (laughs) but it it's uh yeah, I mean, it, it, in all other ways, it is completely unremarkable. It's very much like the Google Cardboard where you have, you know, a place to insert your phone. It's, But, I mean, it's well-made. It's pretty comfortable. It's 
it's two little lenses that sit in front of your face. Um, everything after that is like the actual VR experience, which is really the phone and not the headset because right. the headset doesn't do almost anything. Um, it does do a few things like it helps auto align the picture. So like if your phone is slightly off, it'll just adjust things a little bit. So there are yeah. like a few simple sensors in there and it does come with a little, uh, I guess you would call this a remote. It's like a little, yeah. how many buttons are on it? Uh, well, so it directional f- plus five button? there's five buttons and then there's a touchpad that you can also click. So I guess six buttons plus integrated touchpad. Okay. Um, and then obviously it understands like its orientation in space. So you can like point stuff and, and like swing it around. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, you, it's a VR headset, so you can't see through it. Um, and when you have the VR headset on and you look at the controller, it, there's like this ghostly outline of it. So you, you can see not only kind of roughly where the controller is, but like how it's oriented in space. Which, so like a baby version of the Vive seeing its own controller? Yes. But since you like if you put it down on on like the floor on a table or something and then you go to reach out for it, you become super aware of the fact that you can see the thing you're reaching for and not the thing reaching for it. So like th- that's like a little spatially disorienting because the the it's sense like of telekinesis like bring that to me. Yeah, the the sense of depth is really good, but not having your own hand in your field of vision, your brain yeah. is constantly like, where's your hand? 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 <laughs> it's that uh, episode of House where he has the mirror for the amputee, so he can his phantom pain goes away or whatever. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's like so he's constantly like reminded that his was it his arm or his hand or his foot or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so the the controller is it you know works about the way you expect. They have a couple smart things built into it like the two main buttons like right where your thumb is all the time. If you press them in a certain way, it recenters the view. So like if you're playing a game or you're doing an experience where you're moving around a lot and then you're like, oh, I kind of want to sit back down on my couch, but the main action is now behind me. You can just be yeah. like, oh, nope, now it's in front of me again. So that's like a, yeah. a, a clever little attention to detail. And even, even if you're not going to dramatically change your orientation, I've found that gyroscope only based stuff tends to get a little off after a while. And so being able to recenter is, is key. Yeah, yeah. You can recenter the view, and you can also recenter w- the orientation of the remote. So if the little controller gets off center, you can say, "Okay, I am holding my arm straight out in front of me," and then press the button yeah. and say, "Now treat this as center," and it'll it'll like recalibrate. That happens with Wii U games all the time. The ones that force you to use <laughs> the controller. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's one of those things where it's like, would it be better if it was perfect and it never got off center? Yes. But it's not. So instead, just make it super easy to press the reset button. And like the the view, like when it recenters the view, it happens lightning fast. Like it's it's very yeah. very smooth. There's like a tiny little transition to to kind of eliminate as much disorientation as possible. But it's it's like yeah, sometimes you got to reset it. Like this this is a reality of the level this technology is currently at. Now, what I'd like to see is the I forget budget cuts or whatever the game was called that we discussed like you know half a year ago it's a vive and oculus game where you're like sneaking through an office with robots and you throw knives to oh whatever. yeah yeah 
Like, I don't see any reason you couldn't play that on a phone VR, especially with the remote. Like, are there gyroscopes in the remote, like, to let you, like, throw or shake or do things? Uh, there are gyroscopes in the remote because it knows its orientation. You're right. So, okay. Yeah. So, like, if you hold it out in front of you and you point it up or you point it left or right, like, it knows exactly where it's oriented. So then, I don't, I don't know how precise they are, but I assume they're precise enough for a game like that. Yeah, and so I like I want to play that game, but I'm still not anywhere near building a PC and also adding eight hundred dollars for the VR headset just to play, you know, beta software for the well, new era. And, and that game, like, what made that game look fun was entirely like the gameplay part. So you could massively, massively dumb down the graphics and just make yeah, everything totally. like a textureless mannequin and, you know, to, to try and compensate for the, yeah, the phone it could, hardware. It could look like a PS1 game because the gameplay is what I care about in that. Yeah. And so this is part of what I'm a little surprised about is there are a bunch of games that look like interesting and then there's a lot of free experiences and then there's just other stuff you can do with a VR headset. And there's a couple games that I kind of have on my, like, ooh, I'm curious about that list. But I, I, I got this not long before the holiday weekend, and I knew I was going to have company in town, and I wasn't going to, like, be at my house a lot. Like, we, we went out and did a lot of Colorado stuff for, for people who'd never seen Colorado before. So, I like, I couldn't bring myself to invest in any games. So, like, I've played a bunch of experiences on it, but I haven't played like a properly fully formatted game. So that, that'll be my follow up for next week, maybe. But one of the things I'm most surprised about, and I know I talked about this, and now that I've actually gotten to try it, I'm kind of glad I, I w- was correct about my own feelings about the universe, which is uh, putting the headset on and watching like a, a movie screen with like a Google Play movie or a Netflix or like that, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's freaking awesome. Like it's, yeah, it's really. There's something incredibly, oddly, weirdly satisfying about the sensation of depth and scale you get where you're like, oh, I'm sitting on a beautiful hillside on a spring evening watching Steven Universe or whatever, like <laughs> cast up onto this giant screen. And the the video player that they have on the Daydream, it's it's like you're kind of on a hill and there's like some trees and like some, uh, you know, like Chinese lanterns kind of like lightly lighting the space but there's this very it, and it's like a painter style like they're not trying to make it look photorealistic it looks very kind of uh cartoonish um but one of the the tiny little attention to details that really helps the sense of scale be believable to your your stupid monkey brain is as the picture changes on whatever you're watching the the glow like the ambient glow on the trees around you in your periphery changes that sounds cool. It, it's it's really surprisingly enjoyable. Like I, I watched uh, maybe like a 20, 15, 20 minute episode of, of a cartoon on there. And when I took the thing off, I was like, okay, this is like, I'm, I'm aware that I just had this thing on my face. I'm a little like spatially disoriented. Yeah, could but you watch two hours of a movie? That That's what I don't know yet. One, I don't know how it would feel like comfort wise. And two, 
the phone does start to get pretty warm and that's not yeah. even playing like a full game where it's really like pulling the stops out of the processor. Yeah. So well, that's where like, uh, I follow one of the Android police guys on Twitter and he was saying he really still loves the pixel. And one of the things he was saying is like, I look forward to a few years from now when 4k on a phone with the graphics you need to do this stuff doesn't break a sweat. He's like, I, I want the device to be run cool. And of course, there's always going to be, you know, games that push the envelope and will, you know, make the phone get hot no matter what. But the basic experience being like effortless to the phone would be really nice. Yeah, especially the the video thing because I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to get there with a headset this size where it's culturally acceptable to wear it in public. But man, as somebody who spends a lot of time on planes and public transportation, it would be really cool to put on my Bluetooth headphones and put on, uh, you know, the headset and essentially be like, yeah, I'm in the back of an Uber in a town. I never would have visited if not for my job, but here I am like watching a movie on the big screen. Like that's, yeah, that's a, a pretty compelling use case, but the I mean, I just know full well that I would not do that. <laughs> like <laughs> I cannot imagine myself putting that on, maybe on a plane. Maybe on a plane you would accept people that are like, well, he's just doing whatever he's got to do to be comfortable, but like in the back of a car or like on the train or the bus, like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm also just wondering if we'll we'll ever figure out the AR version of this stuff because I know society rejected the Google Glass and it also was never really a consumer product. It was really more of an expensive beta testing kind of thing. Um, so we didn't get a proper test of a $200 thing. But it's like there's so much utility there overlaying information on reality uh, and we just need culture to catch up with. It's okay to wear technology on your face because we, we just aren't there. I'm, I haven't seen a lot of discussion around this, but I have to assume that eventually we will have AR goggles that are strong enough in, in the amount of screen that they can cover that you can use them for VR. Like once... 100% of your vision yeah. is blocked by fake reality, then you have a virtual reality headset. So, and you know, it'd be really neat to be, same kind of thing. Like I'm on, you know, the train going to work or whatever, and I want to watch a movie. And from my point of view, it looks like there's a big screen TV in front of me, but I can still see the world or, you know, I am on an yeah. actual hillside and I don't need to see any of my surroundings. So now just make me believe I'm in an honest to God movie theater. Like I don't, I don't see why one device couldn't eventually do both of those things technologically. Yeah. And then it's just a matter of, of the cultural problem. When I, I think Microsoft has an interesting direction with the HoloLens, and it's easy to get like bogged down in the, whoa, you have to wear this backpack and there's all these giant ghostbuster cables coming out of it and, and whatever. <laughs> Um, but like the one thing you could like we've said this about so many things things will get faster smaller and cheaper like that's just the trend of everything so don't get too hung up on the form factors too clunky right now it's like no that's just what we're able to do now um, if you can think beyond that then it's like what what should it be like what should this product and technology be like and 
we're charting our path towards that. So yeah, someday it'll be some slick Ray-Ban sunglasses that (laughs) (laughs) vampires can use (laughs) in daylight. Uh, But until then... Yeah, I'm overall, I mean it the the main question when I think about this as a product like the, this specific one, not VR and AR in general, but like the Google Daydream is if I had to pay $70 for this object, would I have paid $70 for it? And the answer is almost unequivocally no, but I'm I'm going to I've assigned myself homework here like I'm I'm going to throw a few dollars at a game and I'm going to try and watch an entire movie like start to finish and just see what that's like because you know as i've mentioned before like i have two small kiddos like i can't you know connect uh my favorite star wars episode to the surround sound and blast it as like a way of unwinding at night but i can put in bluetooth headphones and lay on my couch and stare straight at the ceiling but from my point of view i'm sitting on a hillside watching you know a giant movie screen like that's that's kind of neat like that that uh, that uh I mean, I guess it's almost like a kind of escapism being able to go put at least my eyes and ears into the holodeck and, yeah. and kind of drift away for a couple of hours to watch a movie or to play a game or something is is a fairly compelling reason to be okay looking like a huge dork. Yeah. I could even imagine some human sentimental nostalgia like, I want to be in the house I grew up in watching a movie on the couch. Oh, absolutely. In fact... Uh, so that reminds me of two other things that I lazily did not write down in the notes. So thanks for that. Um, one of the, the apps that comes that's just like a part of Daydream is it'll go into your Google Photos and say, oh, hey, you have these photos that are panoramas. So you can look at any of your photos, but you can specifically look at panoramas and, you know, you get like the head tracking um when you you are looking at it so it's like full full view you're you're not uh there's no like framing device for the photo i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah. and uh you know i i live in colorado you surely have gone into the mountains maybe even have you ever been up a 14er like do you ever drive up one or hike up um, one i don't think so <sighs> lazy <laughs> ne- next summer you can come visit i'll take you up um <laughs> But, you know, when you get up to that kind of scale, it's like going to New York and taking a picture of the Empire State Building. It's like you see, you see the picture and you're kind of like, yep, it's large, but it doesn't <laughs> really convey the scale at all. And sometimes, like, when you're on top of a 14er, because there's literally nothing around you, you are the highest object for miles and miles and miles in all directions. Yeah. It it It's totally like it's... You, your mind has no point of reference. And even if you've been on one before, you're kind of like, yeah, this isn't really what it was like. Um, but when you look at the panorama in the headset, the the resolution's not very high. Like it's noticeably like kind of, you know, potato graphics, but the sense of depth and like when you turn your head, you're kind of like, whoa, that cliff is like right there. And then that other mountain peak is like way off in the distance. It's It kind of gives you back a shocking amount of that depth even though the picture was not taken with like a 3d camera, like it's just a regular picture, but you having it totally like all, you know, shoved up in your retinas does make it feel a lot more like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm in it. I'm on the mountain or I'm, I'm in front of the building or whatever it might be. And then, uh, the other thing is like, I want to watch a movie in the house I grew up in for nostalgia reasons. I'm wondering, uh, like the, is it the vibe that has the cameras in the room with you? 
Was that the Vive? Yeah. Okay, so like you imagine that same kind of thing and it gets really good at like tracking a person. So now not only am I like watching, you know, you can imagine an app where like you and I start watching a movie at the same time or like it, you know, it we log in so we're literally seeing it at the same time. And now we have like little microphones and the camera is like showing us. So like if I look to my left, there you are sitting next to me on the couch. And like from yeah. my point of view, you know, we're in like the house I grew up in. And from your point of view, like we're in a big movie theater. And like I, I wonder what kind of shared remote experiences we can eventually have. Because I mean, you could yeah. definitely do audio right now, but there's really no way for you to be projected into the space without external cameras yeah. of some kind. Or, I mean, it could be like a model, I guess. Well, that's what I was just thinking as you were describing that is like how many YouTube shows will be VR experiences and or, uh, you know, people just create their digital avatars. Like I am this, you know, it's scanning me, but it's not scanning Mike Edwards with a goofy headset on. It's turning <laughs> me... It's using my character model of my actual limbs to animate, you know, the cartoon character I chose to represent me. Right. And uh, that could be very cool in its own. Yeah, it's like a, it's like another life. It's almost like some sort of second, like a second life that you're a leading. second life? Like a, yeah, a second life. It's, it's so really... just a lot of furries in abandoned <laughs> universities. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's... Uh, we we haven't found the oh my god I hate myself for saying this killer app of VR and AR so I think shared experiences will play like a big a big role in that um, the phone already has all the stuff it needs crammed into it for connectivity surely anything more sophisticated like a big powerful gaming PC will also have you know freaking Wi Fi so there's yeah. there's no reason you can't start to think about these experiences across multiple people across physical distance, right? And, and yeah, why not? <laughs> uh, we got a couple other Google things to, to cover. Uh, Photoscan. So this is an app Google released for Android and iOS uh, targeting the annoying problem of legacy photos. So you have all these 90s and early 2000s pictures that you, you know, use those disposable cameras or <laughs> that was you know, that was a pretty millennial focused way <laughs> to describe all of the history of photography. <laughs> <laughs> or even in early digital camera era, you might still go and take your SD card or, you know, a, a disc of some kind and print out copies of your favorite photos. And this used to be a much bigger deal, but somewhere in the last 10 years, people just don't do this anymore because you just look at your pictures digitally. But you might have a shoebox in a closet somewhere that's full of a different era of your life where you have a bunch of hard copy photos and you may not have any other version of them. And so Google created an app that uh, streamlines the annoying process of scanning and cropping and choosing resolutions and blah, blah, blah. And basically, using the app, uh, it intelligently senses the edges of photos and gives you these little markers to line your phone up at. And then it just takes several pictures aligned at certain parts and then assembles it into a very high-quality copy of the image. And it makes this very quick and easy and that way you can go through, you know, it'd still be like, oh, you're going to spend your Saturday doing this. But at least you could very quickly go through all your old photos and create digital archives of them and not have 
oh, I scanned them in at 800 by 600. I'm an idiot. I got to do it again. Or, <laughs> or I scanned them in at, you know, 900 pixels per inch and it's just total overkill for what wasn't that good of a picture in the first place. Uh, it's kind of the sweet middle ground of take, making a good digital copy of these things in the easiest way possible. So I tried it out and I actually just tried it out on a book cover and <laughs> I have a very like, the whatever they call the black brown Ikea or it looks basically it's, black but it's, it's, it's brown black. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I flipped it. Um, and then I had a, just some random Marshall McLuhan book in my bookshelf. I just pulled it out and, and tried this on the book cover and even though the book was a very, very dark cover, the, the app did a great job uh, just distinguishing the edges and it seemed to work fine so it's nice that uh, it just works and if for some reason you aren't a big fan of giving google all your photos it can just save them to your local camera roll so if you just want to use this to digitize your photos the app totally works for that yeah and this is I mean, so I had, uh, you know, also from the 90s when people started taking photos in the first place, uh, I had my, you know, giant shoebox of photographs that I took as as a, a younger person. And many years ago, I sent them to a service and was like, hey, can you please do like a high quality job of digitizing all these? And then they send you back your photos with, along with a DVD that's like, hey, here's all your, your photos scanned. And they do a pretty darn good job and it's it's not that expensive but it's slower and you have to like trust them in the mail like if that you know USPS truck had gotten overturned it's like well there goes all of my memories yeah. like, <laughs> off in this service so i mean there's there's definitely some major drawbacks um along with outsourcing the drawback with this is just you have one you have to do it yourself and two like it is a little cumbersome i mean it's amazing how fast it is but when you're talking about at scale it's like wow this yeah okay um but the the results i think are impressive enough to be worth it like i i did the same kind of thing you did i just grabbed a random shiny object and was like okay shiny object i'm gonna scan you and see how it handles the glare and like it it totally cut it all out it looks great yeah um i also think this is I like this probably just as much for what it represents for smart photo taking going forward because we've seen like the baby version of this with receipt scanning into Google Drive or Dropbox and I love that it's like hey take a picture of receipt will immediately crop turn it into the tiniest possible PDF that still looks great because this is just for your records and this is like you know turning cameras plus software into smart specific tools and so i wonder like what else besides all right this is for scanning photos in we already have receipts covered like what are the other reasons you would want to combine smart software with a camera since everyone has a camera everywhere now and not just dystopian identifying people in a crowd and and (laughs) (laughs) bad government stuff but like what are the other uses for this um and I also think this is a separate app, but I would love to just see this built in as a mo. Even if you, you know, it's a hamburger menu buried down. Like this should just be part of camera apps. Like, hey, you're scanning in a rectangular thing, and you wanted this to be a neat cropped scan. Here we go. Yeah, and I assume that there'll be some kind of clever detection required before they would bake that directly into the photos app because what they would want to do is say hey we noticed you're trying desperately to hold your phone perfectly steady and it's totally horizontal and you have a what appears to be a photograph 
in the frame of the picture. Like Clippy would pop up. Hey. Yeah. Do, do you want to just use like photo scanning mode? You know, some some kind of like uh, little clever interpretation of what's happening. Just the way it like auto HDR stuff. Now it would be cool if it said like, oh, you look like you're scanning a photo. We've switched to photo scanning mode for you or tap here to switch to photo yeah. scanning mode or something. Because a lot of these, I think they make them separate apps because when people stupidly take a photo of a photo, they're not thinking I'm scanning a photo. They're thinking yeah. I'm taking a photo of a photo. So sometimes baking that stuff out instead of baking it into an existing app helps people just be yeah. in the right mindset. Kind of like how uh, like Messenger and Facebook and then there's Instagram. Like Those are all arguably the same thing and could just all be shoved into the Facebook app. But like there's some benefit to saying, no, I don't want to open yeah. the Facebook app. I just want to go to Messenger. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not criticizing the fact that it's a separate app. I think that's great, especially to introduce the idea to people that don't know this is possible. Um, I think it's a great advertisement for look at what our smarts can do. This is so much easier now. Um, but eventually, it's like, you know, Panorama or Time Lapse or all these other things that started out specialized in other apps. It's like, yeah, I should really just be rolled into the camera now that everyone understands this is a thing. Yeah, I agree. I could almost imagine this being part of Google Photos and not part of the camera just because, like, the, the document scanner is not part of the camera. It's part of Google Drive, right? You say, yeah. I want to put a thing in Google Drive, whereas you might say, like, I want to put a physical photo in with my digital photos, so I will go to the Photos app. Like, I'm, I strongly yeah. suspect there are... Uh, <laughs> Por que no los dos, though? Like, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely you open be. the camera first because you're like, I'm going to capture the... Oh, wait, I don't want to have to invert my process just because my mental model was flipped. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are whole departments or, or people embedded in every team at Google that are like, do we make this a separate app or is this a feature? If it's a feature, is it a default? If not, is it prominent? Like, <laughs> like th these are probably, you know many, many people across many, many meetings yeah, that have to make all these decisions. These deep UX questions that don't have automatic answers in every case. Yeah. Though, uh, by means of segue, I assume that there are also people in all of these departments who come up with really clever computer science things, and then other people who are like, okay, now how do we make this into a product anyone actually cares about? And that's where we get stuff like quick draw or quick draw or <laughs> quick draw i assume it's since there's a comment and exclamation point i assume it's supposed to be and that there's like a little finger gun emoji as the <laughs> the favicon i assume it's supposed to be like quick draw i'm going to shoot you like shoot shoot out at the okay corral <laughs> quick draw yeah yeah exactly um this is a giant ironic air quotes game where you are given a series of doodles and 20 seconds to draw them either with your finger on your phone or with your mouse on, on like a normal laptop. And the AI is just aggressively guessing with every stroke of the pen what it thinks you're drawing. And the object is to try and draw it clear enough that the AI can figure out what you're drawing. And it is leading to some hilarious and sometimes kind of disconcerting and bizarre results. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have like, I have my, my most recent results that I did right before we, we started recording 
where I had to draw a cooler, a fire truck, a hospital, a hurricane, a van, and an axe. And <laughs> yeah, so there's a little bit of a narrative you could pull out of that, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, like for the fire truck, it's you know the this it's like a rectangle with circles and then like a ladder sticking up off the top. Uh, the hospital is just like a big rectangle with a big plus in the middle. The hurricane is literally just like a lollipop swirl, like like a big spiral. <laughs> uh, the van, it gets so fast, I didn't get to add any features to it. So I'm not sure a human would identify this as a van. Right. And then the axe it's is like, like... It asks for a square and you started a rectangle and it's like, that's definitely a square. Yeah. So I, I wonder, you know, not being an expert in AI, like I kind of wonder how much of it... How, like how much about the situation does the AI know? Like does it understand like that there's a fixed list of things that I'm drawing so it's got to be yeah. one of those? And what lets it confirm like that its guess matches what it told you? Like does it get to submit those guesses to a confirmation process constantly? Clearly at some point. Yeah, I I assume for for any kind of AI research you have to start with like a body of knowledge. So it has hundreds thousands millions who knows of pictures of fire trucks and once my terrible drawing met enough criteria it says like yeah. yes that is definitely a fire truck and i've probably played a dozen or so rounds of this by now and i have never gotten a false positive it is never correctly identified the thing where my drawing is obviously not that thing I've gotten yeah. a bunch where it didn't identify it, even though I felt like, oh, come on, this is pretty clear. Like, a human would have got <laughs> this. But I've never had it say, like, oh, that's a fire truck, when all I did was draw, like, one circle for one wheel. Yeah. Uh, so what you're saying is, with the body of knowledge, is that you have to bootstrap consciousness, which is why you should watch Westworld. <laughs> I wanted to get that into... <laughs> Man, you really want me to watch that show? I really do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be some of my some more homework for. I don't know if I can have that done by next week, but. Maybe maybe before we're done, we'll be able to talk about it on air. Well, it's a good time because the finale is next week of season one. Ah, is it what what whose show is that? Is that Netflix? HBO. HBO. Okay, thank God. It's I still a have screenwriter my... is a, a lady named Lisa Joy, and then uh, Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan. So. From my perspective, they are telling the story very the, well and very carefully. The, the lesser Nolan? Well, he's helped screenwrite all of Christopher Nolan's stuff, including Memento and some of the other... Yeah, that, that's why movies. we all know his name so well, because he's, <laughs> he's as good as the other Nolan. <laughs> I know virtually nothing about either of these people. I don't know why I'm pitting them against each other like this. <laughs> so when you, when you did the quick draw, quick draw, what did you... Uh, do, do you still have your most recent results available? Uh, I never have done all six or however many it gives you to what? finish. <laughs> but it's gotten every single thing I've drawn, so that's good. Oh, you haven't? It didn't fail on a single one that you drew? No. So I've seen a few of these that are, like, almost arbitrary. They're more like concepts than, like, physical objects. Yeah. I'm just I'm just waiting to play around where it's like, draw hope. <laughs> or... or <laughs> Like draw, draw fulfillment, and I'm gonna be like, I don't know how to do that in 20 seconds. Google. <laughs> yeah, I mean, does this not feel like 
they have just a masterful marketing department that's like, we want to test out this AI. And also we need people to give us just huge volumes of data. Someone throw together like a terrible game that works in a web browser or on a mobile phone. And then people just show up and they're like, I'll give you data, Google. I love giving you data. It really is a a genius (laughs) manipulation of our our attraction to just little fun, stupid things. And just like, hey. I mean, there's, I don't see like a big legal disclaimer on this, but I mean, presumably they're, they're definitely logging all of this forever, right? Like there's, yeah. there's no way that this is not going into the Google hole and, and, and becoming part of their, their AI's brain. Yeah. I mean, you can go to AI experiments dot with com and you can see, you know, seven other stuff they're doing, like a drum machine and a thing translator and bird sounds, and there's all ridiculous, awesome stuff here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, it, I'm trying to draw roller skates right now, and <laughs> I think this looks exactly like a roller skate, and it is just not feeling it. Yeah. This next one is Draw the Mona Lisa. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should have gotten this one. This is a little advanced for me. Whatever, you're going to draw the outline of her and then put her in a frame and it'll guess it. Okay, here we go. I'm going to try and live draw the Mona Lisa in under 20 seconds. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, I'm drawing the frame. Now a really terrible face. And then a little hair. Oh, dear God, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> So now I have to do the last, I won't do them all right now on the show, but I have to do the remaining three drawings so I can get a screenshot of what it successfully recognized as the yeah. Mona Lisa. Like, it guessed it as the Mona Lisa, but would it be able to guess it as the Mona Lisa over any other portrait? That's what I, I mean, not that that's the only goal in the AI is to distinguish different portraits, but... Well, yeah. Obviously, there's limitations here. Of yeah, like, the, oh, you guessed Mona Lisa, but were you given the library of all portraits to decide between, or is it? This just is like, where I assume <laughs> the the marketing paint is has been drawn on here fairly thick because yeah, whatever their goal is, like whatever data they're trying to collect, they have to make the process of getting you to give them data fun and engaging enough. So, you know, could it have compared that against all other portraits? everywhere ever almost definitely not especially once you see in the show notes what i drew which oh by the way you can find at sunrise robot that is flipping table slash 147 to see my my amazing masterwork here um but i don't think that that's what they're trying to do i think this is more about if a human being draws something that looks like this are they trying to represent the abstract concept of portrait or is it probably a specific portrait what's the most famous portrait in the world right so right now it probably has like a fixed set of data like if there's only you know say a thousand things it could possibly be and only one of them is the mona lisa so only one of them could possibly look anything like like a hammer is never going to be confused with the mona lisa so then i think they're trying to learn more about people than objects in the physical world Right. Which makes it seem like just so so much more ominous. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is the future technology. We have to hope for a good society that doesn't do horrible oh man, we're gonna do horrible things. <laughs> such such horrible things. <laughs> uh, 
I wonder uh, if there's going to be any kind of like, you know, years from now, if we'll be able to look back at some of these, because these are all quick draws part of Google's like AI experiments website that they've had for a little while. Um, I wonder if we're going to be able to look back and say like, oh, remember those like three or four kind of stupid little games that they, you know, everybody on Reddit thought was funny for a weekend. Like now it's like a multi-billion dollar product. Like they've, like they obviously took the lessons learned from like these little isolated experiments and put them together. And now that's like the, the new Google thing we all use and like has, you know, all of these loyal rabid fans. Like, I, I wonder if you'll be able to easily trace back some of those, those loose threads, like where they became the mighty rope. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Are we done? Anything else about Quick Draw? I, I don't know that we can possibly have more to say after such a beautiful and poignant metaphor. <laughs> Mighty rope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode 147 of Flipping Tables. Uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 147. Me and David love feedback, and we're both on Twitter. You can find me at pseudo-Michael, S-U-D-O-Michael, and David, your Twitter handle? At Lions in Beta. And we still have our Reddit community going. If you go to reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables, you'll find a link to this uh, episode's discussion on our Reddit, uh, subreddit. And uh, as always, uh, we'll, we'll see some comments in there. We'll post the alternate titles that we didn't pick for this episode. And probably some banter about this Ray-Ban sunglasses ad that I threw in the show notes at the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, for the remaining three episodes, uh, or two episodes, you can subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. Uh, you can use the links on our website, or just search in your favorite podcast app. I like uh, Overcast.fm, or there's also Podcast Addict. Um, and uh, what's the other one? Podcast. There you yeah. go. Uh, and just search for Flipping Tables or search for Sunrise Robot and you can subscribe to make sure you receive the remaining episodes automatically every week uh, more about how we're, we're tying up this sun setting of Sunrise Robot uh, uh. in future episodes <laughs> as always so much thanks to our Patreon sponsors and we're going to give the rundown here special thanks to Matt Mariner Sean Byrne Benji Robinson non-player Cunningham Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ida Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much. Thank you for your support. So, so much love. See you next week. See you next week. See you next week.